Hi everyone, I'm Amanda. And I'm Ronnie. And you're listening to Two Person Book Club. So today's book, or spoiler alert, series of books, is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Mm-hmm. It is a graphic novel. It has to be one of the first like proper graphic novels since it was the first chapter was published in 1979. It chronicles one man, Art's father, Vladek's experience of the Holocaust. And what stood out to me broadly about this book was that, and this is going to sound very, very cliche, we're getting the cliche out of the way early, (laughs) is that it's a very human story. And every story about, you know, World War II and the Holocaust is described as a human story. But this one is more so a particular because it chronicles the recollections with flaws, the foibles, and the actual experiences of Vladek, Art's dad, in the Holocaust and in the concentration camp. Yeah, the book definitely doesn't shy away from anything, but it has a very, very interesting approach to reality. I mean, obviously, the medium of the graphic novel typically skews toward fiction, but it's a really, really interesting format, I think, for exploring something that is such a uh, such a significant piece of history. And after the whole spiel I just had about it being a human story, the thing (laughs) most people know about Mouse is that it is rendered with the characters as anthropomorphic animals. Correct, yes. The Jews are mice, Poles are pigs, Germans are cats, Mm -hmm. Swedes that show up later, they are reindeer. Oh yeah, my favorite by far. That was really cute. Is the uh, French. Oh, the French are frogs, too. The French are frogs. (laughs) The French are frogs, and the Americans are dogs, so it kind of fits. The American being dogs was very, that felt very right. What else is going to, you know, rank above a cat if you're talking about Sylvester Tweedy style? Correct. Natural enemies. You have to have a dog in there. Indeed, yes. The characters being rendered as animals does a couple of things. It eases the reader into the story because, for me, my ratio of, oh, this is fiction, it's outrageous, to, oh my goodness, this is real, this happened to real people, skewed maybe 55-45 to 65-35. When you're looking at the panels and you're looking at mice having things happen to them, the way the narrative is broken up by art to, you know, chain the exciting quote-unquote parts, it kind of makes it like really fiction-like, but there are different sections where you stop and you think, and it's usually the horrific parts where you stop and you think, oh my goodness, this is an actual person Mm. that this happened to. It's interesting because it kind of puts the ball in your court in terms of where you connect to reality. In a way the format of the book allows the reader to connect insofar as she can bear. Right. And, I mean, obviously it goes without saying. It's what all good literature does. Mm-hmm. But it approaches reality in a way that... I, I don't think I don't think there's a way, at least not for me, to sit down and look at 500 pages of Holocaust photos. Right. Um, there's a kind of distance created by that experience that this book gets around... by creating a different kind of distance that is a lot more broachable. Right. And another layer that Art Spiegelman, the author and illustrator, puts on top of his father's Holocaust narrative is his own narrative in dealing with his father, Vladek. Vladek, at the time of the writing of these books, is older. He is very much a crotchety person. He's kind of a dick. Uh, Oh, yeah. a little needy. He clashes with his kid, Art, in the book. And Art, the writer and illustrator, by no means wants to make his father a hero. And Art wraps his father's story of his experiences in the Holocaust, apart from having it drawn uh, with them as anthropomorphic animals, is that he also gives, he wraps it in his own narrative of talking to his dad and trying Mm -hmm. to extract his dad's story about the Holocaust from him. It's pretty remarkable, too, how well that meta-dimension of the narrative works. Absolutely. You'll see Art, for example, taking notes about his father. You'll see him recording his dad. You'll see him 
talking to his wife in a car in a conversation that turns out to not be how the conversation went Mm -hmm. because art at level gosh we're at a lot of levels at level (laughs) four has rewritten the conversation with his wife to serve his narrative of him trying to get his dad's narrative out of his dad obviously there are a lot of parts of this that offer an interesting meditation on memory you know yeah um, absolutely both 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 private and public the way that things are remembered and misremembered Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm always fascinated by art that explores the nature of memory right but one thing that's so interesting about this character is you do feel that art is viciously attempting to do his absolute best to portray his father with accuracy correct and a degree to which the character of Vladek, the father, actually goes to rewrite history right. is to, in some cases, erase it. When yeah. he, he actually destroys his late wife's journals of Notebooks. the Holocaust. Right. Yeah. That's one of the threads that is running through this story on the art taking his dad's narrative yeah. level. Uh, art wants his mom's perspective and he knows that his mom kept notebooks and wrote letters about her experiences in the Holocaust and one minor thread running through this series of stories is Art attempting to get his dad to find those letters from his mom because Art loves his mom Art's mom took her own life uh, later when he was 20 right after the war and Art was devastated And so Art really wants to get his mom's side of the story from these letters. There are so many interesting things about this book. It's almost impossible to know where to begin or or where to go. But that character of Anya, the mother and Vladek's wife, and his great love, by far his great love, her presence in the narrative, not only during the flashback portions where she's alive, right? But her kind of omnipresence in Vladek right. for for the entire story is Absolutely. so interesting. It's so haunting. Yeah. Art must have read poetics like we did himself. Because who didn't? Who didn't? I it's... mean, you did, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You absolutely did, listener. Uh, but Art does start these series of books by establishing characters, young Vladek, and Anya and giving you something to root for, Mm -hmm. namely Vladek and Anya getting together and their safety throughout this ordeal. You get sewn in with Vladek and Anya because they're going to be your main characters and that he establishes early. I found myself when I was reading Mouse rooting for them, actually, because even though I know since I went to school, I know what is going to (laughs) happen. I know how a Holocaust narrative is going to turn out, more or less. But I'm still, I still found myself being like, oh my gosh, you got to get out of there, you guys. it's going to be okay. Go to Czechoslovakia. (laughs) No, don't go up the stairs. Don't go up the stairs. And the stairs are central Poland Mm -hmm. in 1939. Uh, yes, I, the book does do a great job of creating suspense, both visually and, you know, linguistically. And the way the story is told, I think, has so much suspense in it. I also felt, because you do still get those little, I mean, you know how the war is going to turn out. Right. But the war isn't one story. It's right. millions of stories. Right. And I think that when we talk about this being a human story... What we're talking about really is exploring the the nuance of individual experience against a massive shared background, which is, you know, what we're all always Absolutely. after. Yeah, this isn't Star Wars by any means. Is it not? It's not. I looked. How so? I paged through the whole thing four times looking for a lightsaber. <laughs> what does that mean? No lightsaber. This isn't Star Wars. What do you mean by that? There, There's no, like honorable good there's no light side and dark side and i'm sure by 1979 after a bulk of these stories have come out in the 20 30 years after world war ii you are starting to get the concrete set in that you have a noble good versus an undeniable evil and art really tries to keep you out of that pit 
he goes out of his way to represent his dad and I have no reason to believe that this isn't honest so he goes out of his way to show that the Jews in the story were hustlers they went and they looked around even as the clouds started to descend on Poland Vladek was still trying to find the next hustle he was trying to get around these rules by doing this on the black market his factory gets shut down so he learns another skill that he can go make money with he uses his connections with other local Jews to get things for his family. Vladik resists tying his experience down to a deep, holy morality. He was just trying to survive. And I do appreciate the degree to which art is, uh, I mean, at some point he has to comment on it, and he explicitly does, but he's very wary of both depicting his father with deep accuracy and right. also flirting with stereotype. Right, like absolutely. he realizes that in so many respects the way he's depicting his father are almost if it wasn't real it would feel like racism. It would feel like a caricature. Exactly. He, he worries later on in the story that he's depicting his father as kind of your classic miserly old Jew. Mm-hmm. But he tells himself, I believe it's near or before or after when he's talking to his therapist that he's feeling the pull between what he owes his father, what his father owes to him, what he owes to the community, as it were, yeah. to depict his father accurately versus being mindful of the stereotypes that got his father and his people in the grips of a attempted extermination in the first place. Right. Because his father, I mean, his father is, he's like sealing up half-eaten cereal Absolutely. and like returning it to the grocery store. Like it's grocery store. The imperfection of Vladek really sells this story to me. And the book has such an interesting relationship. I mean, I think, I think the author does such a spectacular job of exploring this and the order he chooses to do it in is amazing. The, the relationship to financial resources specifically, right. pre-war, during war, post-war absolutely for this individual and for this community ultra fascinating to me i wouldn't even because they were all about it let's be real they wanted to get money because it was survival to them yeah it was something to trade with if at some point you don't give someone a watch you will be dead absolutely no vladik would trade jewelry he would trade rings for protection he would trade it for food and he had no problem with any of this he had no problem making deals hustling just trying to stay alive no one should because he's trying to stay alive he's using what he knows yeah they were he was a businessman beforehand that's a really discreet skill that he brought with him and he's going to exploit it to protect himself and the people he loves do you think that the uh anthropomorphic characterization helps save us from human caricature? I think it does. It really, the more you think about it, it kind of gets clearer and clearer as a masterstroke by this depressed, disaffected illustrator and author in the 70s that he stumbled upon depicting everybody as animals because it inserts that extra millisecond before you're like, oh, those people just doing that thing in both the Jews' case and the Nazis' case. Mm. The cruelty, since it doesn't activate the whole Nazis are cruel, we're past that circuit in your brain. You see an animal doing cruel things to another animal, and you have to think about it. You have to process it because it's a cat doing something to a mouse. Yeah. On the other hand... It's a cat doing something to a mouse, and that's also supposed to be normal and banal and all that. But drawn up into human experiences, it's also very, very strange. It's it's a very layered thing that that Art Spiegelman does in this book to really help you go through it and understand it. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. I, I also, I, I wouldn't mind getting into a little bit this idea of war reducing everyone to an animal state right. which is of course a part of it right i think this is a theme that has been explored in a lot of literature and media right. about world war 2 uh and have you ever, have you ever read actually a really good example of this is uh, the boxer have you read the graphic novel the boxer i have not so it's reinhard kleist uh wrote this graphic novel also a little bit about 
paternity. It's about his father, who mm-hmm. was uh, basically a prize fighter. He was like forced to box in death camps. Gotcha. Um, and he became a professional boxer after right. the war. But there was also, I mean, obviously it was a extremely violent and and demeaning experience, particularly in the concentration camps. Right. And it's all human characters. Yes. It's also, I mean, it was written within the la- like the last decade or something. Right. So we've we've there's more historical distance, I guess. But it's very much about the reduction of both oppressor and oppressed to to violence and kind of the worst versions of human interaction out, right. of, out of desperation yeah. and in a time of war. Uh, there's a lot of people killing each other over bread and, right. you know, that sort of thing. And I think that Mouse is... In a way, it's so on the nose, the way that they're exploring the animal dimension of human nature. That's true. But in another way, it's it's just extraordinarily elegant. It's nuts. And on top of the story being rendered in Animalia, art does try and keep your focus on the characters by only giving you a glimpse of the overarching themes that you know. There's a panel where you see Vladek biking on a stationary bike because he's old and needs to keep stretched out. You see just a part of the number that he has tattooed on his arm. You have the gate at Auschwitz that says Arbeit macht frei, and you Mm -hmm. only see the first part of it because you know and you're supposed to keep your focus on the actual people slash mice and cats going through what they're going through. It's a constant reminder that you're meant to keep your focus down here where the folks are actually going through their thing. And, and making that story, uh, you know, I mean, you can't, again, it's, we're just at a point historically where you can't really make a book that's, look, the Holocaust right. happened. It's too broad. It's too historical. To, to actually tell a story that recreates a particular context for the reader or audience, I think is kind of kind of great yeah what you're describing is you know it's not look it's auschwitz here's what was happening here because we all i mean hopefully we all know and we're doing something different now we're doing something more sophisticated which is to try to understand that as the context of the people who experienced it right and we're doing it slowly too another difference between mouse and a lot of your standard holocaust narrative is that mouse starts in the before you see the Jewish folks at the stations where they are mm-hmm. before they start to get the noose tightened around them. So little actually deals with immediate pre-war. Right. Poland. I was fascinated by that. Absolutely. Yeah. The Jews were in, they were fairly well off in business. Vladik himself owned factories. Anya's parents were very successful. They actually fronted Vladik the money to buy a factory to work at. And it seemed like the way the Nazis developed here in Maus is that they had a huge inferiority complex about how well the Jews were doing. So they obviously ginned up some conspiracy and started to squeeze on the Jewish people little by little by little. And even after rights are being stripped away one by one, the Jews still managed to find food, make connections, and survive. And that has to have enraged the Nazis even more. <laughs> so they say, okay, get out of your neighborhoods. We're going to put you in these ghettos. Well, even, even positive attributes of certain characters like uh, intelligence or life-saving cleverness right. or resourcefulness, all of these things phrased and framed differently become part of racist stereotype, right. right? I mean, it's fascinating how much of that still exists in the cultural vernacular even today. It's tough. It's, it is. It is. And you see a lot of things that make you go, hmm, thinking face emoji, in mm-hmm. that strong emotions are being ginned up against those people because of one reason or another, because they're different. They don't belong here. They're doing really well, to, and we're not doing very, very well. And so we have to get a hold of those folks. They're obviously doing something wrong. And also, early on in chapter one of Mouse, Anya's boyfriend at the time gets 
pinched by the authorities for spreading communist propaganda. Right. And there are, this is probably the earliest of a long, terrible litany of things that went wrong that were done because people were afraid of communism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we could all just be a little less afraid of communism. So many things. So many people would be... Oh, many things yeah. <laughs> went wrong because somebody's like, communists burn everything. We're really afraid of communism. We're really terrified yeah. of communism for yeah. a long time. And a lot of stuff got messed up because of that. Yeah, there's so much scarier stuff than communism, don't you think? Yes, like Nazi cats. Like Nazism, right. right. Um, yeah, the thing that we fear usually gives rise to something even more fearful. Right? It's, it's fear that makes people go nuts. Absolutely That's true, nuts. absolutely. I want to read, if you're game, there are, uh, so there are two volumes in which uh, Mouse is is really like you know part part one part two although I think I mean you're right about like the four sections right. and the way it was released serially mm -hmm. uh, but each each section begins with a quote do you want to read the the top of the whole book and then I'll take part two sure yeah so top of the whole book right before we jump to the narrative there's one quote by itself on a page that says the Jews are undoubtedly a race but they are not human it's attributed to Adolf Hitler. And that's where we're starting. This is the high up on the hill, 10,000 foot view of it. So you're ready to go down into Vladek's own story, knowing that that's in your head. Yeah, that, and, it, it, and it is high up on the hill, but it's also, it's so intimate. It's, it's a mentality. It's a thought. It's like a direct quote. It's so, it's so crazy. I mean, we know, we know all on some level that violence comes from the dehumanizing of the other. Right. But to hear something so matter-of-fact like that, yeah. all, of a sudden, all of a sudden you understand all of it. <laughs> when you come to the point where Hitler can say the Jews are definitely a race, but they're not human, yeah, you know at that point that that's the air that is being breathed in Germany and all of the places it goes on to conquer. When it comes to the point where you can speak that plainly about it, everybody hears it and believes it. Uh, and that's what you're dealing with. And so you turn the page from that and you're looking at Jews as mice. I think Art is saying here, okay, the Jews aren't human, they're mice. So we'll see how this goes with the Jews as mice. And we'll see them continue to triumph and survive and get through everything that they were put through as mice. It's funny to see an old man mouse because when you look at a mouse you're not mice in general you don't imagine mice living to old age they're disposable you know they're common they're disposable things and so when you see a mouse as an old person you know that mouse has been through some stuff and he's gotten over a lot yeah and some quick shout out to the art i mean it's just uh the art, not both the author and art itself, but the the uh, the artistry, right, <laughs> uh, is really uh, is really something. Arts art, arts art, yeah, uh, meta art. And can we get a quick shout out for um, this? There is just some dark humor in this. Yeah. Mauschwitz. Mauschwitz. It snuck up on you. It, the pun. Oh boy. Oh, such a good pun. It is quite the pun. It came. It comes in in. I believe volume two or three, mm -hmm. where they, I think it's the title of volume. It's late hitting. Yeah, it's one of the yeah, chapters. I think yeah. it's the title of volume three, Mauschwitz. Yeah. I know that Art released these one by one because in volume two, he references right. that volume one is very, very popular. And then you see a lot of the blowback from having his father's story be that popular. It's so interesting to think about him developing so much of this story with real-time feedback. Right. Uh, not like a new media kind of climate, mm -hmm. which is its own beast, but to, to be understanding how his work is basically being received chapter by chapter, right. issue by issue. Yeah. It's so interesting. He has a part that starts off chapter two where he's being interviewed, and he right. is under the hot lights, and he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, now I'm the spokesman. I'm just one guy trying to tell his dad's story. These aren't questions for me. These aren't questions I can ask. And so he shrinks. I believe that's when he first shrinks down to uh, a child mm -hmm. because he can't 
he can't handle. He's having trouble with the pressure that he's being put under and dealing with his dad and feeling like he has no control. Yeah, that's a great sequence. And uh, it really it really sneaks up on you the way that uh, the way that art plays with size and dimensions and that feeling of powerlessness. Absolutely. Which is great. Uh, while we're in that zone, can I read the, the quote at the top of book two? Absolutely. It's pretty atrocious. <clears throat> so this is a quote taken from a German newspaper article in the uh, Pomeranian region in the mid-30s, so pre-war, but just by a bit. Quote, Mickey Mouse is the most miserable ideal ever revealed. Healthy emotions tell every independent young man and every honorable youth that the dirty and filth-covered vermin, the greatest bacteria carrier in the animal kingdom, cannot be the ideal type of animal. Away with Jewish brutalization of the people, down with Mickey Mouse, wear the swastika cross. So some real connections being made there yeah, at the end. that is, that's some grade A... 99% a plus paranoia right there. Indeed, yes. When you see Mickey Mouse as a propaganda tool meant to humiliate and insult the Germans and praise the yeah. Jews, it's it's something. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild. People are terrible and we will believe what we want to believe. Absolutely. It's again like the quote from Hitler where you're rolling full steam downhill. You're yeah. on that train on that one track going all the way downhill. And everything confirms what you think, and you enact what you believe to be right, and things get really, really dark. They get really bad. Really dark, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is such a... It's interesting. There is so much grace and humor in this book, but it is... I mean, it's obviously quite dark. It's... it's. I mean, it's interesting to discuss a, a book like this. It makes it... A lot of the humor comes from the fact, I think, that you're looking at anthropomorphic animals mm -hmm. at mice especially when you're looking at just art and his dad and art's dad's second wife and when you're looking at vladik in the past just trying to get his stuff together as the nazis are coming and starting to round people up and send them to first ghettos and then concentration camps it's really really dark but it's kind of it's kind of slapstick a lot of Vladik's foibles like you mentioned him trying to return a half eaten box of cereal to the store yeah him being pretty mean to his second wife oh yeah their relationship is just brutal it's so hard to read but it is also comical it is yeah they're old people they're trying to she's trying to you know take care of them and he's he just doesn't let up. He doesn't give anybody any space to like him. He tries really, really hard to be to not be liked. And I think if anybody's going to feel that, it's going to be your son. Hmm. And it may be the case that Art felt that, and so he wanted to draw that back and have the reader of Mouse feel that too. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... It's interesting, right? I mean, there's a lot of not talking about the psychology of these characters because of how the best best way to explore some of these themes is just to guide us through them rather than comment on them. Absolutely. And so I'm very impressed with Art's unflinching devotion to reality and fidelity to the way things are or were. But then again, you snap back to all this stuff happened to real people. Exactly. This isn't yeah. a madcap adventure. This no. is one group of people trying their best to eliminate another group of people. Literally, that actually happened. Yeah, and that, and that element, I think, will... The moments in which that feels true are surprising. Yeah. To me, that felt the most pronounced, even in small moments of betrayal you know i mean there are a lot of instances in the book where help is bought and not given freely Absolutely. which you know i mean you sort of you like to think that if you were in that situation you would be one of the good guys right you'd right. be like hiding a dozen jews in Absolutely. your attic and you'd be you know lying to the, the police and you'd be doing all this out of the goodness of your heart right but if that if everyone were that way a lot of a big chunk of the holocaust wouldn't have happened like that's the that's the long and short of it so i think the the depiction of the way that commerce was done 
on even a relational transactional level. If you want to be hit in someone's barn, you have to pay. pay it has to be worth their while. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there, it, it's funny. And then you you think about there's so much in this about human nature and both the micro and macro iterations of that. Vladik in the past, on multiple occasions, does himself and also tells other people, "Look, save your jewelry. You're going to need it." to pay off somebody to hide you. Yes. Or save your bread. You're going to need it to barter with the guard to do X, Y, Z. And he lives because he understands how the world works. Absolutely. He's transactional before the war. He's transactional in his relationship with Anya. He, right. She's rich, you know? Yeah, he needs part money of it. from her dad to start <laughs> his factory. He gets wooden shoes that at least fit him and clothes that fit him because he's able to teach the guard... English, because mm -hmm. he can speak English. Even though the guard, I believe this is the guard in the concentration camp in Auschwitz, his first guard when he first gets there, even though he's a horrible person that makes them work until they fall down, he is able to deal with them and say, look, I'll teach you English. I know German and English and Polish. I'll teach you English just to, you know, make things more comfortable for myself so I can keep yeah. going to that next level. Yeah, and uh, it, it really, I, I think little things like that really expose the luxury, the privilege of believing our relationships are motivated emotionally or from a, a place of purity. Right, absolutely. I, I mean, we're really just a bad situation away from having revealed how, again, how animal it, we are. Right, how... how it's, I, <laughs> Absolutely. And that he lives and dies by all that, yeah. by getting put in one job versus another job, by getting the right shoes so he can carry stuff and not stumble and fall down. That's what keeps him alive. So many people he mentions, they die. He says, he uses a turn of phrase, they come out the chimney. Yeah. And he kind Which of... Which is kind so of, haunting. Yeah, it's terrible. He kind of shrugs at it. He had to have developed that skin so that he can keep going and not succumb to one the fear that was trying to be pushed on him yeah and hopelessness yeah and uh, psychologically that calibration is both extraordinarily impressive and when you think about millions and millions of people for whom this was the day-to-day -day reality not only the precarious uncertainty or the torture of of the actual living conditions but also that it's a kind of survival device for for you to calibrate that to your it, that is your day-to-day -day life then right you, you know you get super happy if you get a quarter of a slice of bread right. like that makes your week you know on the other side of the miasma that they're all floating in making the germans be okay with in some cases and participate in in a lot of cases open bloodlust mm -hmm. and disenfranchisement of rights and privileges it is the air that the jews breathe too it's the miasma that they are swimming in as well and yeah. so they shrug off being moved from one place to another i believe vladik is asked towards the end of the book why didn't they resist why didn't they yes. pick up arms and you know try to go out in a blaze of glory yeah. That's such a great section of the book, yeah. And Vladik says, because we all would have died, and it would have been over. Yeah, he's also like, here's a good example, you know. Yeah. And these people were just hung, and they like left them there for right. a long time. And yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's always the that's always the question too. I mean, even if hindsight were 2020, or if you were in some way more noble than someone, it, it, there's a there's such a there's such a privilege to looking at history and saying well why didn't you why didn't you do this thing absolutely you never know unless you're in it yeah and and also the, i think art does such a good job of guiding us through the partial experience everyone has of what's happening like the wondering the uncertainty the waiting to see what will happen next right there's a very there's just a constant feeling of precariousness and no idea what your decisions will hold and just attempting to do your best, especially in those first very veiled, occluded days of the war where right. people didn't know, like, there's no way something this terrible can be true. Right. There's no way they're just shipping millions of Jews to a camp and then burning them alive. There's yeah. no way. It does start as rumor. And 
they think, oh, if we go over to Czechoslovakia, because right. the Jews just want Austria and part of Poland, the Sudetenland. So if we go to Czechoslovakia, we'll be okay. If we go to Hungary, we'll be fine, and we can do our thing. Ex-acquaintance went to Hungary. He says it's great. Yeah. <laughs> there was an early part where they were trying to get smuggled over to Hungary, and that's how they get caught the first time. A smuggler turned them over to the Germans. They were betrayed. And up to that point, you're thinking, okay, he's so good at just doing his thing and getting through it that he'll get over to Hungary and he'll be okay. But no, it just doesn't work out that one time and he gets pinched. And that's, that's where it starts for him. Yeah, you're really spoiler alerting a lot of this book. Spoiler Hope, Hopefully everyone read this book. Hopefully, of course, everybody <laughs> read this book. That's the rule. I'm that's, just kidding. That's not the rule. That's fine. There are no rules. The most central thing about this story to me is that relationship between father and son. I would love to talk about that a little bit more. I, I think that I wonder what Art Spiegelman's experience of this book was over, I mean, over decades of composition and research. I wonder, I wonder how he felt about this work upon its completion? I'm not sure. I'm wondering if he still felt like himself mm. because he goes into it, a artist, illustrator in the 70s, kind of depressed, kind of in his feelings a little bit, and looking for another story. And I imagine he just wants to transcribe his dad's story and see if there's anything there. Yeah. I don't know how he comes out of it, if he comes out of it as himself at all, or as this vessel for his dad's story. It's quite interesting because his professional life does come to be defined by his father's story, by his telling of his father's story. It does. I'm wondering, and I wish I'd paid more attention, but I'm wondering as we go along what the balance between story about the 1940s in Poland and Germany versus story about the 1980s mm -hmm. in New York and then later Florida. I wonder what that balance is like. It's when we're talking about this story, it's really good and it's really sexy to go into the actual Holocaust narrative, but... Is it the, sexy to go into the Holocaust narrative? It's what people do. It's, a, it's, it's alluring, it's perhaps. A, it's, it pulls people in. It's yes, the thing that pulls right. people in. And you tend to overlook the narrative between father and son, like you said, yeah. about how the father flies off the handle about little things, how he strong arms Art and Art's wife into staying with him, how he treats Mala we terribly. Have to talk, we have to talk about a. You got to do your Black Watch. Thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're like one example. Black Watch. This episode is that there is one African-American character in Mouse. It is a hitchhiker that Art and his wife are picking up while they're visiting Vladek in New York in a summer place where Vladek is staying. Very but late not, in the story. It's late in the story, late, but yeah. not where Vladek is eats. He sneaks onto an a adjoining community to get to play bingo and use their stuff because why not? But he picks up this black hitchhiker and Vladek is mortified because oh my god the blacks and so he's he's, he's literally watching the groceries in the back to make sure that this hitchhiker doesn't, doesn't steal, them. steal them yeah and he's speaking to his son in polish yeah. being like why are you picking up uh schwartz or a, a black person why are you doing this this is crazy do you want to die xyz abc and you're like come on man <sighs> you you learned something didn't you but you know, people is people. But I think I think that fidelity to imperfection is so important. In a way, if you... I mean, certainly that doesn't have to be true of the father in order for him to be this individual. But it is, right. it is a faithful conveyance of mm -hmm. who this individual was. Right. As much as, as much as the author can do it. And he just doesn't turn away from it, which means, I mean, to me, it's... It, you can trust the entire story. You can just really trust this author. I wonder what was going through his head when his recorder was on recording was this like, conversation. Oh, no, Art yeah. was probably thinking, these books are out at this point. He can't oh, cut yeah. this out. 
Yeah. He's probably trapped. He's thinking, I have to put this in there. Please, Dad, don't be like this. Don't do this. What are you doing? Yeah, there's definitely no sugarcoating history in this book, either private history or public history. And it's so interesting when you think about the project initially of honoring someone by telling their story. Right. And to faithfully convey so many dishonorable aspects of your honoree. Right. I think he's just trying to tell his dad's story. He may have, at the start of it, been like, oh my goodness, I'm going to tell this survivor's story. It's going to be great. It's going to be cut and dry. It's going to be the story we've all heard, and we're going to get some traction out of this. Well, I, I wonder about that. I don't have the sense that he ever set out to valorize his father by any means. But I think there were probably elements of this story that surprised him. I'm sure he got a lot more than he asked for. Yeah. Do you think that art actually beatifies his mother, in a sense? I think it's impossible not to. Right. I think that, first of all, death will to some degree, make it'll, a hero of anyone. It'll shine you up It, a it bit. really, I think that's somewhat unavoidable in a particular respect. And I also, it's a combination of factors, right? Once someone is gone, they become their memory. And the way that people talk about them becomes who they are. That becomes part of the memory. So between the way that Vladek talks about Anya, who, you know, he certainly remembers as an angel and the love of his life and this perfect person. Of course she wasn't perfect, right. but he definitely beatifies her. Yeah. And then I think to lose your mother at age 20. Right. And particularly, I've never, I've never lost someone close to me to suicide, but I think that's, a, that's also a really specific scenario. Right. Uh, and, and the way that a person becomes the way that you remember them, I think is very, very colored by grief and loss right. and also the way that the other people who share those memories with you remember them. That's true. So I think it's, I think it's almost, it's almost impossible, I think, under the circumstances for him to portray her in any way other than a little bit, if not larger than life, then better than life. That's, to me, that's what makes it an extra shame that we never end journals, up finding yeah. Anya's letters mm-hmm. and journals. Yes, it is a great, it's a great loss. And it's interesting because that's also a microcosmic loss when you think about all the stories that we don't have. There's so many stories. And, and of course, you know, now it's, there are not that many Holocaust survivors alive there now. There aren't. These recordings and, you know, both written and audio are becoming more and more important by the hour. It's too bad that we never found Anya's material because it to me kind of renders her as a two-dimensional character because you don't get to see or hear her insights. She's told exclusively through other people's lenses. Right. How she passed her time and how she got through it at the women's prison. Yeah, that would be so fascinating. Yeah. What she did to stay alive, what she did afterwards. The two things that we really miss out on in all the stories that you're taught in school about that period are the immediate before and how it all unravels. Mm -hmm. For me, I thought Auschwitz was liberated in this way. Okay, the Americans for the Western camps or the Russians for the Eastern camps kick down the gates and they, the Nazis all run away and, oh my gosh, you guys, you're free. That's not how it unfolds here, and that's not how it unfolded. Right. Well, that's what makes art and literature so important, right? Right. Is that the the two pages of the textbook are never going to be able to encapsulate those diverse experiences. They're not. The Germans marched their prisoners miles and miles and miles. People fell out of that forced march, and they died then over days and days. Even when the writing was on the wall for the Nazis. They were dicks to the last. They yes. they put the Famously. Jews on trains and left them there to die. And they only opened up the trains to get the dead bodies out. One of the worst imaginable passages of this book and one of the worst imaginable ways to die. Yeah. Suffocation on a train. Vladek recounts it, though, as... 
I had access to some cloth, and he had well, they're each given they're each given a blanket, right? Right. And he had places to tie it off, and so he made a hammock for himself, and that's all that comes from him. Once the bodies get taken out of the train, and there's more room, there's more room for him. He's still just trying to make it work. He's still just trying to survive. Yeah, and again, you know, to have that several tiers of Maslow's hierarchy taken away from you under conditions of oppression, what what could he have done but survive? And how could he possibly talk about it except in a way that is practical? This is what happened. This is what I did. Right. This is how I survived. And it kind of valorizes how he is later on in the mm. in the quote unquote present, how he wants to do everything for himself. He will keep everything he can find. Well, that self-reliance certainly defined him. That saved his life. Yeah. Back when he needed to save his own life. Yeah. Keeping hold of what he had, doing what he could on his own, only trusting people that know you, like your son, to stay with you to help put up the storm windows. And that's probably why he stays with Mala, despite for all intents and purposes, hating her guts yeah. because she went to the camps too. This book really dives into the way that experience shapes values and because of its scope, specifically with the character of Vladek, the way that his experiences during the war shape who he is and how he behaves and all of his little ticks and his, his whole value system. Right. So, I mean, it's so central to this book and I think it's, it's always interesting to trace those things, but through a nonfiction graphic novel is a pretty interesting way to do that. It is. You understand what I mean. It does. It makes it easier to swallow. It makes us look for the lessons instead of trying to pick out the flaws. Mm. Mm -hmm. There are only a few places where actual human beings are rendered in this anthology. Mm-hmm. There is the comic within a comic right. where Art reproduces the old comic that flat, that he wrote about his mother's suicide and the aftermath of that. Yes. That he drew, and he drew people. There is a section where he sits with his therapist. His therapist is rendered as a human with a mouse <laughs> mask mm-hmm. on him, which kind of maybe gives one a clue to why art is using the guise of animals for people. The therapist is outside of this whole narrative. He's outside of the dimensions of this book, and that's why, in order for him to be inserted into there, he needs to put a mask on himself to relate to art. And then the most powerful view of a human in this book is, at the start, there's a picture of art's older brother that that was murdered as a child by the Nazis and at the end there's a picture of young Vladek in his camp clothes actually yes in a posed picture and that after hearing the whole story brings it up to your face that this is a person that just went through all that yeah there's a panel that it's about a burn pit for bodies where they have workers churn bodies to keep the fire going and then they get sprayed with accelerant and they get lit on fire and you have this panel with a bunch of mice on fire screaming Mm -hmm. and then when you see that picture at the end you realize that those are all human beings yeah suffering like that yeah and uh the placement of that photo i guess that that twist that is meant to jar you back into remembering that this is after all a human story is so expert that that moment so near the end yeah uh, the book really book really sticks the landing it does it does and that was like i guess one of the few really really master strokes that mm-hmm. art puts into his book mm-hmm. there are, is his placement several. of the pictures and his yeah. use of actual humans yes yes the yeah. swedish reindeer though the swedish reindeer they kind of oh, they kind I kind of stretched it for me. Yeah, I mean, this look, look. This book is such a bummer in so many ways. I'm so there's so so much gratitude for those uh, French frogs and the Swedish reindeer and just love I'm just so glad because <laughs> I had heard of only the mice as Jews, cats, Germans as cats, and poles as pigs. Right. Yeah, I did not know they got into 
the Swedes as reindeer because that's just I would watch that other I would I would I'd watch I would read that graphic novel that is pretty indulgent and I know <laughs> you know you're waiting in a book full of you know death and sadness just to see just reindeer walking around which is the most ridiculous animal to anthropomorphize because of the antlers <laughs> you have it's for the best it's a huge it's a huge win for the book you yes. have to deal with the antler somehow oh man yeah actually um Art's wife, who is a French woman, they yes. talk about it. She she converts to Judaism. Yeah, she and she becomes be de- a mouse. She wants to be depicted as a mouse, and yes. she is. I think her name's Francoise. She's French, and so they're talking about. She's like, should I be drawn as a frog? Are you going to make me a frog? And she's like, no, I, I'm Jewish. Make me a mouse. <laughs> Again, a fabulous instance of not only how ridiculous the grouping by race element is, right. and such a nice a nice nod to that element, right. but the idea that we would be different like species. Right, exactly. <laughs> but um, but also just, I think, a, a terrific implementation of the meta, the meta storytelling, he, where he's begun to comment pretty hardcore on what he's doing. What he's and, actually doing. Uh, we get a real glimpse into his process. It was probably a little bit fun for him to put that conversation in. Oh, yeah. There's also a seam in the anthropomorphized animals situation where if you were a Jew and you were walking through the streets like Art was in this one, not Art, excuse me, Vladek is Vladek, yeah. walking around pretending to not be Jewish. And these kids spot him and point at him and yell, Juden, Juden. And he's actually walking around with, as a mouse, with a pig mask, mm-hmm. which is a pretty clumsy, like falling forward, though, a hilarious way to depict one person trying to pass off themselves as another person. Can you imagine the futility of when you're in this situation? It's a thing for me and for um, you hear a lot of black people talk about code switching. Mm, And so when you see art walking around with a pig mask or you see that kind of thing, at least I think I can I can see that. I see how that goes sometimes. And I yeah. can feel how that is sometimes. You're walking around with a cheap plastic mask yeah. on your face because <laughs> that's how you think it is. But everybody else is like, oh, that's that's a 100% red-blooded pig right there. Yeah, it just it helps to expose just the, uh, the reality slash triviality of uh, the divides between right. identities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Code switching, yeah, that's an interesting... Uh, that's a really stressful passage, too, where he's uh, it is. You know, doing his Polish code switching. It is. It's really smart of Vladek to know to that he run. can't run. Yeah, of course. Because right. then he'd give himself away. He yeah. would have to kind of drop a dime on the kids and be like, no, your kids are just being kids. They're being crazy. Right. And the right. mom believes it. I mean, perhaps you can back me up on this as a, as a black person. There's no, no one wants to have to code switch. <laughs> no. You want to, if it can serve you if you can get through it you just do it but of course but the the circumstances of code switching uh, always indicate an inherent injustice right it's sometimes it's just you trying to keep your powder dry for Mm. what's really important Mm. sometimes you want to (laughs) sometimes you just want don't want to deal with that shit sometimes you need to get to a certain spot to where you can have the kind of influence you need Sometimes you fall into it. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes being the mouse with a pig mask and then reminding people that you're a mouse, sometimes that's fun to kind of knock a little crack into that statue. Yeah. There's a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Did you see did you see Sorry to Bother You? I did see Sorry to Bother yeah, You. Yeah, the the white voice. Yes. I'm crazy I'm crazy about that movie. Oh, uh, that's a it's a really, really good movie. Yeah. Everyone go see Sorry to Bother You. It's not in theaters anymore. It's but not in theaters find anymore, it. but buy it on <laughs> on various movie going platforms. Yeah. There's a twist at the end. So don't don't ruin it, money. <laughs> There's not a twist at the end. Actually, dealing with um the anthropomorphic is an element of uh Sorry to Bother You as well. I will say no more about it. Yep. Yes, go forth, support all forms of good and edifying media. What else, Ronnie? Anything else? Do you have any vocab words from this? There was one that I wrote down because I read it wrong. Go on. It was when the Nazis were picking people to go to a certain place 
every day they would have what they'd call a selection with a K. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, okay, you're going to either work or die. You're going to stay here. You're going to either work or die. You're going to stay here. And they call that the selection. Or you're too weak. You're going to get burned alive or put through the gas chamber. Right. Basically spelled just like selection with a K. Selection with a K. And that stood out to me because I thought it was skeleton and that didn't make sense. And also the fact that at the start when Vladik is courting Anya, he uses broken English to show off yes. how his English is. And throughout the story, Vladik uses broken English. Yeah, the language is, uh, the use of dialect is lovely. And yeah. it's his English skills that gets him saved mm-hmm, by times. being able to, to convince the guard to keep him around. And he makes a friend, a Frenchman, who helps him out because since the Frenchman is French, he is a little frog in the graphic novel, he can get care packages from the Red Cross, but the Jews can't. And so the Frenchman helps Vladik out with some cookies and some stuff that the Nazis let through via the Red Cross. My favorite word, uh, which I did not know, was new and you, which is a, a Yiddish uh, kind of catch-all phrase. You remember this from the book? So the, 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 the term new, you might just pop onto the end of a sentence. It's right. like a way of saying, right, like, right. well, or yes, or so, or I think it's probably pretty similar to, like, the Russian tuck, T-A-K, gotcha. which is, like, kind of a filler word, but also sort of, like, warms up the language in a way. We have like, we have um. Yeah, we, some of us have more ums than others. Some of us have more ums than others. <laughs> I uh, think in Chinese, it's nega. Ooh, too, okay. Which is pretty funny. Um, yeah, China might not be for you. It's it's funny about <laughs> that. Of when I was in grad school, we had a bunch of international students. Sure. And another woman who was in grad school with me pointed that out to me. And mm-hmm. now when I hear a dialogue in Mandarin, I'm like, oh, it's it's nay guy again. They're just they're saying um. <laughs> That's one of the funny quirks of being a species that spans a planet and has a lot of different languages. Languages sure are fun, aren't they? Aren't they? Aren't they? All right, brilliant. Well, Ronnie, should we talk about what we're going to be reading next time? Sure. Next time, we're going to be doing The Mansion of Happiness by Jill Lepore. Okay, so Jill Lepore is one of my favorite cultural historians and writers. I think she's absolutely brilliant. And The Mansion of Happiness is basically, it covers a lot of ground thematically, historically. It's going to be a super, super fun read if you like anything about cultural history or trivia or just learning why we as a civilization have the ideas that we have. I think it is a not-to-be-missed book. Even if you don't like it, it's important to know how things got this way. Indeed, yes. And I think it's also, I, I think that Jill Lepore's perspective on most things, social, political, and otherwise, mm-hmm. is it's always so meticulously well-researched, well-informed, and she's got a little bit of that, that dark humor that I, just, that I just love. Because you, let's face it, as, as we learned from Mouse, uh, you cannot take a look at our very dark history right. uh, without a little touch of humor. It's the little things that get you through every single day. Okay, one thing, one last thing about Mouse that I wanted to touch on was the last panel, actually. It's not oh, part yeah, of the book. Oh, yeah, let's talk about it. Yes. It is actually part of the book jacket. Go on. It depicts art. In most books, they have an about the author section, and they have a nice little jaunty picture of the author. This picture in Mouse is of three mice. It is Art Spiegelman rendered as a mouse. But the weird thing about this is that, one, his hands are drawn really, really human-like, which kind of takes you out of the fact that he is a mouse. He is a man. He is not a mouse. He's holding an actual rat. And then behind him is a, an image of Mickey Mouse. Yeah, like an only partial, like as though Mickey Mouse were on the wall or something. Exactly, yeah. in the background of the wall. So it's three mice looking down at each other as different as three individuals that are purported to be in the same species can be. One, a giant globe-spanning icon, one, a human, and one, an actual rat. Such a layered portrait choice. Absolutely. All right. I'm still hearing some of those those L.A. sounds today. We got a lot of L.A. sounds here Lots in our little recording sounds. booth. It's beautiful L.A. day. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I think that wraps up Mouse. Ronnie, you want to bring oh, us home? Awesome. This episode was 
edited and produced by Daniel Eastler with production support by Joshua Bermudez. We definitely encourage you to support your local libraries, bookstores, any place and way you can read and learn about the past, present, and future. We always love to hear from our listeners. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on the web at twopersonbookclub.com. And you can email us at tpbcpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You can tell we're good at selecting email addresses <laughs> because we select it for letters that sound the exact same. Yeah, tpbc. That's uh... <laughs> tpbc. TPBC podcast. Something you do like T as in tiger, P yeah. as in Paul. Oh, oh no, we are TPBC <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. You can read, you'll figure it out. Yeah, you'll figure it out. And if not, you know, you'll you, you find a way. Exactly. Just, you'll find a way. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.